Hello there. Welcome to the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is a chance for pastors and members of Christ Covenant to process the sermon, ask questions to the preacher, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you have a question for the Sermon Talkback, please text it to the Text to Pastor line at 678-951-9041, or you can ask through Twitter by tweeting to Jason directly at Jason Edwin Dees. Enjoy. Lou, um, if you've made it through all of the Ten Commands, um, you get to this tenth one. And what Paul says, I used to be alive. I was alive. I was still in it. I was still in the race. I was righteous. I had never stolen anything. I'd never told a lie. I've never taken the Lord's name in vain. And then, and then I understood this command, and I died. The rule of covetousness, the most, uh, uh, the, the, the rule, the command, the, uh, the law of God that, that slays us. What do you what, think? What I think your sermon Sunday really connected the dots for a lot of people on what exactly Paul was getting to in the book of Romans when he made that point. Well, I think he's talking about this command specifically. Yes. I mean, I think he's kind of talking about all the law, but he, he kind of says, when I understood that command, yeah. it got me. Right. And so we, none of us can stand to this mm-hmm. one. Uh, so first of all, let's talk about it. It's, it's obviously not wrong to have desires, but it is wrong to covet. So what's the difference? We call this the rule of desire. But it's not just desire. I mean, desires are good. Desires are inevitably good. Uh, you know, C.S. Lewis, I think, famously said, like, every desire has its right and natural fulfillment. That's right. Um, but there are, desire can come to a place where it becomes sin. Right. If we, for example, if we desire things that the Bible specifically says we should not desire, then that's a sin. Right? Yeah. That's covetousness on the face of it. We're desiring something that God forbids us to desire under pretty much any circumstance, and that is wrong. But now, even most of those desires come from desires sure. that we should have. So right. it's not wrong to have a wife or to desire a wife, right. but it is wrong to desire your neighbor's wife. Exactly. Yeah. But my point is that there are some desires that are inherently wrong because we're wanting something that the Bible says we should not want in particular. But then there are other desires that are wrong only because of excess, only because we desire something good inordinately. A good example is I like to fish. Now, there's no verse in the Bible that says you shall not like to fish or enjoy fishing or anything like that. In fact, those of us who understand the Hebrew and the Greek understand that fishing is actually the biblical sport. Well, there you go. So you the, could you could argue running. There's a couple other biblical maybe sports. Maybe so. Maybe yeah, so. Yeah. It's it's among a biblical sport. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, hey, Jesus obviously liked to eat fish. That's right. And so do I. Amen. So I am like Jesus. That's right. <laughs> In that regard. <laughs> All right, go ahead. So fishing, so not when, inherently bad. So when I was in when I was in Atlanta last time, I uh, 
you know, 20 years ago, I would love to float down the Chattahoochee River in my float tube and just go fly fishing uh, or any kind of fishing, really, for uh, trout. And I would wonder sometimes, you know, am I making an idol out of this? Am I loving my fishing more than the Lord? And so what I would try to do is I would use the fishing as an opportunity to really worship God and as a springboard to, to praise God, right? And so I'd be floating down the hooch, and there were all these beautiful homes and beautiful sections of forest. And I was, I, I would just purposely try to bring the Lord in that experience. Lord, thank you for the day off. Thank you for the opportunity to enjoy this beautiful creation. Thank you for the fish that I've caught. You know, and I just, I, I used it as a springboard to worship God so that the fishing was not the primary focus of my delight, but the Lord was. And I, the fishing was sort of in the peripheral vision, but I was using it as an opportunity to focus my affections on the Lord. Now, the opposite would have been a problem. If I was so focused on fishing and I just sort of forgot about the Lord or maybe saw him in my peripheral vision, then I think my fishing would have been in danger of becoming an idolatrous sort of experience for me. And so this is what we talked about Sunday, when God is at the heavy end of your heart, or when God has that primary place in your heart, or when God is most glorious, most beautiful to you, then all your other desires get in line. It's like a plumb line. All your other desires can be ordered rightly. Right. Right. So if so God- like, Seek your happiness in the Lord, Delight yourself in the Lord or seek your happiness in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Um, the inference there is that desires of your heart will get in line with right. God if you're delighting in the Lord. Right. E either he'll give you the desires that you already have that are righteous desires, or if not, then he'll bring your desires in, in line. line. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Yeah, I, had a lot, I knew a lot of like sorority girls, for example, in college that loved that verse. Uh, delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desire of your heart. Because they like wanted some guy, mm -hmm. Mr. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, oh, well, if I just like delight myself in the Lord, which in their mind was like, go to a bunch of worship services, then Mr. Right will love me. But that's not really what that verse is saying. I'd be careful with applying it that way. Yeah. There, yeah. there are other biblical principles and directives that need to be, you know, considered. But, you know, I mean, I remember. Well, but it's not, yeah. Delighting yourself in the Lord is not a divine uh, genie. Right. Uh, yeah, right. that like everything you want. You, right. If you're delighting yourself in the Lord, you'll realize, you know what? My identity is not in the person that I marry. My identity is not in having a happy labor after why. Uh, and you, so your desires will start to change. A lot of times we view God as a vending machine. You know, we put in our 25 cents or actually $1.25 or $1.50, whatever it is now, $2. I was at the airport the other day. It was like three fifty for a Coke or something. Anyway, you, you know, you put your money in and then you push the button. And then when the Coke doesn't come out or the candy bar or the sandwich or whatever, you know, you start, you start banging on the vending machine. Which actually, that's just evidence that God is not at the heavy end of your heart, but rather, um, you know, you are. Right. And you're ultimately using God as a, as a servant of yours. Right. So God being at the heavy end of your heart aligns all of your desires. And I think this is true of every desire, right? But in time, I, I think we should say in time, but yes, that's right. Yeah. It's and not an instantaneous thing, but as we seek, continuously seek our happiness in the Lord, over time, he brings our desires into line with his will. And sin has so messed up our desires right. to, to, to make us believe that this will make me happy, this will bring me joy. And this goes back to the garden, right? Mm -hmm. 
Satan told that to Eve. The serpent told that to Eve, right? You'll be like God. You'll, you'll be filled. It'll just a delight to the eyes. And, uh, and, and obviously she, she desired something. Uh, it wasn't wrong for her desire to eat. God had given her all the, uh, the, uh, the plants of the garden to eat, except for this one tree. And, See, and that's what Satan does. He 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 twists. He said he said he, Satan twists God's intent. God says, "Look, knock yourself out and have whatever you want. Great freedom. Oh, but don't touch that one tree." And Satan takes the one thing that we're not allowed to have, and causes us to want it sinfully. And in the process, we become unthankful for all of the many other things that God has freely given us to enjoy. So if you, if, if you have no other gods before God, right, if you're obeying the first command, then, well, you won't have an idol. You won't have other images that you put in that heavy place. If you call yourself a follower of the Lord, you'll act like a follower of the Lord. You won't take his name in a vain way. You'll respect his order, right? You won't, you won't, uh, um, you won't forget the Sabbath. You won't forget to rest. You'll, you'll respect the order that God's put in place. You'll, you'll love the things that he loves. You'll delight in the things that he delights in. And you won't inordinately desire the things that he's given you as a means to enjoy. And you will resist the temptation to take pleasure in the things that God says you may not enjoy. The good things that God gives us in life are sort of um, down payments, just sort of reminders of what it's going to be like in heaven. And, you know, this kind of gets to the heart of the issue, too. As Christians, we really are not supposed to live for this life. We live for the next life, right? But when we are discontent, it's typically because we have a temporal value system. We're focused on what we want today in this life rather than being grateful for what God gives us in this life, knowing that it's a down payment for what heaven is going to be like. And um, we live for the wrong yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, it, it comes out of, you know, when, one of the things I said on Sunday is if God's not at the heavy end of your heart, something else will take its place. And, and when anything gets in that place, you'll do anything for it. Well, and you make an idol out of it, and then God's in the, yeah. in the habit, I suppose. Whatever is at of, the heavy place of your heart, you'll serve ultimately. And then what does God do with our idols? You know, we love something more than we love him, and he may mess with our idol, Right. Well, he, yeah, he may destroy the idol, or he may just let the idol destroy us. Like, right. right. And so if we're... I gave them the desires of their heart and send leanness to their soul. Right. I mean, yeah, if you look at Israel, Israel is the story of the people getting what they wanted, in a sense, over mm-hmm. and over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think an interesting story, Genesis 19, uh, it's the story of, um, you know, as you know, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, very frightening story. Well, then you, you fast forward to Judges 19. Okay, it's interesting that they're the same chapter number. Mm-hmm. But the people had no king. They did what was right in their own eyes. And what do we see? We see, uh, obviously, the, the servant of the, the Levi and the concubine and the, this, uh, you know, the horrible, basically the same kind of seen as what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. I think the evidence of Judges 19 is Israel has become just like Sodom. And where is that happening? That's happening among the tribe of Benjamin. And then they do get a king. And who do they get their king from? The tribe of Benjamin. Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin. So 
They wanted a king like the rest of the nations. And it's like, it's like God is saying, I'm going to give you a king like the rest of the nations. I'm going to give you a king like, like Sodom had. I think of what Solomon said, and I forget if it's in Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. He said, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. He who loves gold will not be satisfied with abundance. And the point is, man is never satisfied. That's the nature of covetousness. We, we love this. We want that. We long for that. And these things cannot ultimately satisfy. Well, it's like Augustine. Our soul is restless until it rests in you. And right. And the idols always fail. And we think of the word love as a good thing, and it is, uh, but the Bible also talks about love being a bad thing. It talks about those who love money, those who love pleasure, those who love control, the atrophies in 3 John, love to be the president, he loved to be in charge. Uh, loving sleep, loving wine and oil, loving our own life. We can love things that God has given us to enjoy too much. It's fine for us to use things. It's, far, it's fine for us to like things. It's fine for us to rejoice in things. But like Calvin said, the human heart is a forge, or we would say a factory of idols. God has given us the ability to delight, seek our happiness in anything that we want to. But when we seek our happiness in temporal things rather than in him, in eternal things, then we're in trouble. So how do we get a new heart? And we talked about this on, uh, on Sunday. But, you know, we talked about, obviously, the new birth. We talked about salvation, ultimately. Something God does, regeneration. Mm -hmm. Something we do, faith, belief, trust in God, whatever you want to call it. Looking to Christ. What are practical ways, though? At the end of the sermon, I, I said, here's some ways that you know you do have a new heart. And we talked about conviction. Mm -hmm. I think that's evidence, right? Right. You're aware of your covetous desires, at least. Or, and or, you can pray and ask the Lord to, to reveal to you the idolatrous desires of your heart. I mean, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. And sometimes we could tell that we're coveting, but we can't put our finger on what the what idolatrous is. What is it? Right. But I think if we pray... Um, and we go to God's word and ask ourselves certain questions. For example, what is it that I can't live without? What is it that uh, I long for? What is it that I spend most of my spare time thinking about? What is it that I'm willing to sin in order to get or sin if I'm, it's taken away from me? And I think by God's grace, we can put our finger on what the idolatrous desires are. And then we have to, by God's grace, learn how to dethrone them. So when you're feeling conviction... Like mm -hmm. you said, so you might have a hunch. Right, okay, right. I think my heart is not in line with God here. Well, it's like I was wondering, am I really making, you know, well, thank you for fishing, but am I really, am I loving it more right, than right, you yeah. are? Right. Yeah, and so I, I like what you said, because you're kind of talking about what John Owen called the mortification mm -hmm. of sin. You're, yeah. you're like looking for sin. Right. And, and so you think the pathway to that is prayer. Bible reading. And Bible reading. Right. And just letting God reveal to you. Mm -hmm. uh you, you that's know, an interesting thing. And I think that's something we don't think about enough. Yeah. God brings conviction, but then we have to kind of go and look for uh, the cancer, if you will. You know, that's a whole nother podcast. Um, I'm writing a book called Grow Up, and the, the function of the book is to talk about our collaboration with the Holy Spirit in the process of sanctification. 
I mean, sanctification is a, is a work of God, but as Christians, we have to cooperate with the Spirit. And largely, the Spirit works through the Word. So I think it's very important for us to be in the Word on a regular basis, more importantly, to let the Word of Christ dwell in us, because that's really what the Spirit is going to use to convict us. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is useful for teaching, for conviction, for correcting, correction, and for training in righteousness. And then the second thing we talked about was contentment evidence that you have a new heart and i said you know contentment doesn't mean that you're always happy or mm-hmm. you're always satisfied right. it means that you're increasingly satisfied in your identity as a son or daughter of god right take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses um let your behavior it says in hebrews be without covetousness for he himself has said I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah. So are you increasing in your satisfaction as a son or a daughter? That's a good question, yes. Yeah. And how do you know? I mean, do you have any tips like, okay, here's evidence that you're increasing. I mean, I would say you think about uh, worldly things less. Uh, I would say you're able to rejoice in the goodness of the... the well-being of others, right? So like you mentioned the, the houses on the Chattahoochee. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you looking at those and saying, why don't I have that? Right. Or maybe are you looking at those and saying, I'm so glad that that person has that. I think the short test for contentment is whining and complaining. So I think if you see yourself increasing in whining and complaining, then chances are you're becoming more discontent. If you find yourself whining less, uh, grumbling less, being more thankful, then I think that's a good indication that you're making progress that's, in that's a, contentment. That's a good, easy test. Yes. Yeah. And then the last thing is the pursuit of Jesus. You, you know that you have a new heart because you start pursuing the Lord um, and you start going after the Lord. I mean, that, so I talked about the Philippians too, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Paul sings this song. I don't know. Do you think that's a song? Philippians 2. Even though Jesus was made in the likeness of God, he did not consider a God with equality. Oh, oh, yeah. Have you read about that? Or? Yeah, the Kenosis passage. Yeah, yes. but I, a lot of scholars think it's a song. It was a popular song. Really? You don't know that? Didn't. So this is like uh, people thought like this was like the Matt Papa song <laughs> of the first century. Yeah. And Paul just says like, your attitude should be that of Christ. Remember the song for he who, you know, even though he was made in the, you know, right. yeah, equality with God, did not consider equality with God. Anyway. The point is, but then what does he say right after that? He sings the song about Jesus. He begin a name above every name that every knee should bow. And then what is the next thing he says? I'm not sure what the last stanza of the song is, so I can't Well, you know the last stanza of the song is, you know, every knee should bow, every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord of the glory of God. Okay. And then the next thing he says is, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah, right. In light of how great Jesus is, right. you work out yourself and then the next verse says it's not all you for, for it is god, god the holy spirit who is working in you to make you willing and to make you able to do his good pleasure but that's why i think it's evidence of the new yeah, birth sure. if god is working in you right. then think, you are working out your salvation it's like edward said in religious affections you know it's really our affections that give us the greatest assurance that we are in christ we have life we, we love to be with God's people. We love God. We hate sin. There's a desire for us to grow. It's our affections that really give us the assurance that we are in Christ. What do you love? What are you pursuing? Right. What are you thinking about? What do you hate? Yeah. And, and so I would say like some of this is a little tricky 
to know your heart. But some of it's like, like you just said, like, do you like going to church, right? That's mm-hmm. evidence mm-hmm. of a new birth. Right. Do you like serving the church? Yep. Do you like, you know, uh, reading and listening to the Bible? Do you like singing to God? Uh, you know, I mean, these are, some of these are just like, <laughs> do you like this stuff? Yeah. Or does it feel burdensome? Right. You know, does it bring joy or does it bring a burden? Right. I don't know, last thoughts on covetousness, Lou. I think we need God's help through the, the scriptures. I, the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit of joint and marrow. You know, you said it was tricky, but listen to this last part. And it is tricky, I'm not disagreeing with you. But it is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You're not ever going to really be able to get to the deepest level of your sin struggles apart from the Word of God being able to diagnose it and apart from the Word of God teaching you how to, um, by God's grace, address biblically these desires that yeah. cause so much misery in our lives. And, you know, we talked about that passage Sunday, and what's so interesting about it is that verse 13, it switches because it's talking about the word of God. But then remember I talked about subject object agreement. Mm -hmm. Verse 13 says, and no creature is hidden from his sight, right? But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must. And I think, I think if I remember right, the point you're making is the written word and the incarnate word are synonymous there. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it is. And so you want to get to know Jesus, know the word. Do you want to have the desires of Jesus? Yep. Yeah. He's there. He's there in his word. So it's a good word uh, to end on, Lou. Hey, just one, let me give a plug. Okay. Before we go, if uh, you are looking for a good Bible reading plan, we've got one. The Rhythms book that we produce every quarter. I think we're about to produce it for, it'll come out in June, the next quarter. But uh, if you're looking for some help, and we also have a great field guide on personal devotion. We're about to come out with a field guide on family worship chaps that's going to be really helpful for our folks too. So we, we want to help you in any way that we can uh, to get you plugged into God's word. Uh, thanks so much, Lou. Uh, let's pray that our desires would line up with the desires of our Lord for Lou Priolo. I'm Jason Deeds. Thanks for listening.